All right, here we go. It's a Thursday, which means Starkus is coming. Supposedly. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. We'll see uh, how Maddie is at Danny today. We have a Twitter rundown, Starkus. Don't worry about it. Everyone knows you're coming. Yeah, we know he's not coming in. He doesn't like to see us anymore. No, he's, he's probably a call-in today. Has, uh, he, has he announced that? Yeah, he texted us yesterday. I don't pay attention to that. That's, that's <laughs> fantastic. I have no idea. Have Both know. Danny and I responded too. You got three really? text messages. I got three beeps from the and, three uh, of us. Yeah, there's no just chance. nothing at all. No chance Man. I saw that. Danny, when are you playing the highlight of the punt getting down to the two yard line? Ooh, all right, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean that you want to bet on that. I figured you'd play that every day of the week. All right, tomorrow. <laughs> I got you. Here don't we worry. go. The first bite. Who made the best head coach hire in the NFL this offseason? We had quite a few that got hired this offseason. What was the best? Jim Harbaugh. I think it's an easy answer, and it's Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. I, I think it's – I don't know that it's particularly close. Now, no. some of these other coaches, at least one of them, you assume, will have some success, right, in three or four years you, from now. I hope so. We'll be talking about one of these guys right. as having a good three- or right. four-year run, but – Harbaugh's won literally everywhere that he's been. And everywhere that he's been, he's taken over a program that either was really bad, like Stanford, for example, the Niners weren't very good when he got there, or like in Michigan's case, a program that was okay, Michigan wasn't terrible, but then took them to a national championship, took them to where they were a top five team in the country on consecutive years. The guy's just won everywhere he's been and taken over bad programs and done it. I... This one to me is this one's a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. This is what you want. Yes, if you're hiring in the yeah. off season, um, we're in complete agreement on that. Who made the worst <laughs> hire? This is this is tough because half these guys, who knows how they're going to do and where they came from. Um, wow, Gerard Mayo. You think so? They didn't interview anyone else. I think there's a chance that could be the worst. They didn't interview anyone else. Here's here's the funny part about that. Bill Belichick had so much success there that if like six or seven years ago you had said, all right, when Belichick is done, they're going to pass it off to an assistant underneath him to sort of carry on. To use a cross-sport reference, San Diego State did that. They went to Brian Dutcher from from Steve Steve Fisher, Fisher. right? That was sort of the general idea there. You would have thought, okay, that, that sounds like a great idea. But that was six or seven years ago. The Patriots sucked in between then, right? The Patriots have not been good, and yet they still just said, all right, let's transition. If I remember correctly, Gerard Mayo played his entire career for the Patriots, Mm -hmm. and his entire coaching career has been for the Patriots, all of it under Belichick. There is zero experience for Gerard Mayo in the NFL that is not associated with With Bill Bill Belichick. So if you think what Belichick was doing just needed a few tweaks from Gerard Mayo, and they're right back to where they were with well, Belichick, then maybe. But if you think that, uh-oh. Gerard Mayo needs Tom Brady. Right. Then, uh-oh, that's not very good. And now that hire probably won't end up working out very well. I think the worst hire is Washington with Dan Quinn. I don't think hiring Dan Quinn was a great idea to begin with, but I think the way they got to Dan Quinn makes it even worse in that they thought, They were hiring Ben Johnson, Mm -hmm. the Lions offensive coordinator. And then Ben Johnson apparently waits for them to take off coming to Detroit and then tells everybody, no, I'm staying Yeah, they're in the air. They're in the air (laughs) in the airplane. Ben Johnson, funniest guy in the league, apparently. Um, 
And Washington, so, okay, you can't hire Ben Johnson. They then have to pivot. And they pivot from the intriguing offensive, offensive coordinator, coordinator who would be a first-time head coach to defensive coordinator who's already been a head coach right. before. This isn't like, ah, oh, we're giving him a shot and seeing it. Like, we've seen it before with Dan Quinn. And so that's like that process-wise is really bad because you just completely changed the type of coach you thought you were hiring. I think Washington might have ended up making the worst hire. Well, overall. Danny and I might agree with you. <laughs> you guys hope that's the worst hire overall. We hope that's the worst hire <laughs> overall and that the Cowboys made a uh, better choice with Mike Zimmer. Yeah. So I think that's ultimately the worst one. Um, where do you think Antonio Pierce ranks among the hires? I mean, not a, not among the top ones. There were eight hires. Yeah, not among the top ones. Maybe lower half at this point. He's still got a lot to prove in my mind. Yeah. I So we both agree that Harbaugh's at the top. Um, and then I like, I like the offensive hires just because I think that's the smarter way to go about it. We've talked about this a lot with if you're a defensive coach, you need a good offensive coordinator or a superstar quarterback. And if you get a good offensive coordinator – you're likely to lose that guy to a head coaching right. position. So I like the offensive ones better. So Harbaugh's one, and then I like Canales and Brian Callahan. Canales going to the Panthers, and uh, Callahan was the OC with the Bengals and is now going to the Titans. And then you have the defensive guys. I don't know that I put a lot of separation in Mike McDonald, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, Gerard Mayo, and Antonio Pierce. I don't, I don't have enough to say, oh, obviously Mike McDonald is going to be better than Antonio Pierce, or obviously Gerard Mayo is going to be better than Raheem Morris. Those are all sort of in the same grouping to me, and really their success is probably going to come down to who is their quarterback slash who is their offensive coordinator. Right. Otherwise, they're all looking Well, we know at, that's going to happen in Las Vegas. Right, and that's going to be the case for – like, I mean, same thing in the Patriots. Right. Who's, who's are they staying at three and picking Jaden right. Daniels? And how good is that guy? So that's going to be the case, and the Commanders obviously as well with Dan Quinn. How good is Drake May or Jaden Daniels or right. whoever you end up getting there is going to basically determine if Patriots are three or two. They're at three. They're at yeah, three. Okay, Commanders they're at three. two. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, but the the success of those rookie quarterbacks is going to determine how good Dan Quinn or Gerard Mayo is. Right. If those guys are busts, three years from now, four years from now, those two are not. They probably coaches. get another job. Yeah. And if they're if those are superstar quarterbacks, then look at Gerard Mayo. He's still around and doing yep. really well. NFL executives, though, not very high on the Antonio Pierce hire. Uh, the Athletic polled seven NFL executives and had them rank the best hires of the offseason. And the way they did this was just say who was the best hire, who was second best, and who was third, third best. best. Antonio Pierce did not get a single vote from any of those executives for the first, second, or third best hire. I'm not totally surprised at that. I'm not totally surprised at that. He was an interim five and five? Five and four. Five and four. I gotta I gotta see more of it. I gotta see him with his you know, with with an offensive coordinator, like we said, with a quarterback. He's a defensive guy. I gotta see more of it. Yeah. Before I put him in top threes of off season hires. I think now the most energetic guy. <laughs> He's running away with it. He's running away with the title. I think the if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, like if you're an executive for another team, which is who's who ranked this, we said it before they even hired Pierce. No other team in the NFL was going to hire Antonio no. Pierce. This was the only team that would have possibly hired him 
was the Raiders. So if I'm an exec for whatever team, the Jags or the Colts or whoever, I don't look at the Antonio Pierce hire and think, oh, damn, I wish I could have done that. You look at it and say, oh, okay. Like, all right, he might work there, but that's nothing special. Nobody else was going to hire that guy. Nobody else even had that guy on their radar. So I think from an outside perspective, that's why nobody well, I think would he, think. Did he not interview for a job? He did interview for one job, and I'm blanking on which one was it was. It Tennessee? I think it was Tennessee. But he did interview for one other job. Um, but the, were the Titans ever going to hire him? Probably not. Probably not. So it's just, I think from an outside perspective, most people look at it and say, we wouldn't have even considered hiring Antonio Pierce so we don't think that was a great hire whereas like Jim Harbaugh was the guy they voted as the best hire. well automatic right I think other executives even if you have a coach in place that you're happy with you would say well if I was hiring a coach Harbaugh's the one I would have wanted right. to get out of this offseason or out of this group and go from there I was interested that Raheem Morris was the number two most popular hire among these executives because I'm not we talked about this when he got hired I don't understand why. Like as a coordinator, he's never had an like his defenses have, have been worse than they were when they took over. The head coaching stuff, you can give him a little bit of a break because he was in terrible situations. But there's not really a lot of success at a coordinator or head coaching level to point to. But it's the same thing when Raheem Morris got hired. Ted Wynn, Brad Spielberger, guys that we have on this show, guys that I like, they take their information their opinion seriously they were all they all love to hire and I was like all right what am I missing here and that's happening again apparently with NFL executives so maybe Raheem Morris is going to be a great hire and I'm just like all right I don't understand why but it could happen here now that it's been now that we've had some time since all these coaches have been hired are you surprised none of Belichick Pete Carroll or Mike Vrabel got jobs it's funny because it's Belichick but I'm more surprised at Vrabel Belichick's age yeah um, I do think people go back and say, was it Brady? How much was it Brady? Because of what happened with the Patriots the last several years. Um, Vrabel much younger. I thought that Vrabel would get a job. I think there's a lot of respect for Vrabel around the league, whether it's warranted or not. Um, I'm surprised Vrabel didn't get a job. You had an offseason where five teams hired defensive coaches. And two of them, Vegas and, and New England, hired internal candidates. So they were... Never, neither one was ever really looking outside right. the organization. But Washington, Seattle, and Atlanta all hired external defensive coordinator type guys. Mike McDonald's going to Seattle. It's his first time as a head coach. People were excited about him and what he did in Baltimore. But Atlanta went to Raheem Morris. Washington went to Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn. I, I, I would say I'm a little surprised neither one of those teams would have rather had Mike Vrabel. Mm -hmm. I personally wouldn't want to hire the defensive guy, but if I was, I. I think I'm taking Vrabel over those two. So I do think that's a little bit surprising. The Belichick one, I think the most surprising thing about Belichick is that he only got one interview. Yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta is the only team that interviewed him. That's the part that's – I could understand a lot of teams saying, all right, he's a little bit older. The last few years were not good. Maybe he wants full control of the organization. Right. and We don't want to do that. But I'm surprised nobody interviewed him. The guy, the guy won six Super Bowls, and teams were like, eh, I don't even want to talk to him. Right. That part of it's right. surprising to me, to at least see what he has to say or what he might be able to convince you that he could do. That part of it, I'm surprised that nobody just wanted to sit down and talk to him. Besides Atlanta, that part's, I think, the most surprising thing of the coaching search this offseason. 
Well, I got duped because I thought he went to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Maybe that's why. All the other teams were like, ah, he's a Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. Chick-fil-A guy. He's, he's taking Atlanta. that job. We know, we might as well not even consider it. So there's a recap of the offseason head coaching hires. Jim Harbaugh, clearly the best one. Yes. Nobody doubts it. That's Undeniable. A, that's an automatic. Yeah. It's a pretty obvious one there. Coming up next, though, we'll get into the running Rebels after they knocked off Fresno State. Last chance for Fresno to get out to Hill with seven. Hill down the right side. Hill goes baseline. Hill out to Ducell. A three from the right side for Ducell is no good, and the putback is no good, and the Rebels win the game. Wow. Talk about dodging bullets. The running Rebels dodged a number of them in this one, and they come away with a victory 67-65 to over a Fresno team that battled its hearts out. You're listening to the Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas. Ed, do you remember when UNLV beat Boise State? You gave them extra credit because I did. it was well, the game it was a nice, after nice win on the, the road. Utah State yeah, loss. After the Utah State loss, yeah. Um, if you gave them extra credit for that, I'm giving them zero credit for the win last night over Fresno State. What a shock! What a shock! That was a you just, disaster. You, just, you don't like this team. They're not that good. You don't like this team. They're not that good. Let's uh, see. Where, is my uh, is my thir- my thirteen and five is still in play here? They're seven and four. Yes, it's if still they in play. if it's they still lose play. just one game yes. the rest of the year, it's they play. will be thirteen. Still, hey, if they're thirteen and five, they'll, they'll probably win the league. be in first place. Yeah, they'll win the league by multiple <laughs> they games. They might do that. Yes, it's still in play. Yes, it is. All right. Um, the reason they get no credit: one, Fresno State's bad. We established that already. But also, Fresno State was down three players that are either in their starting lineup or in their rotation. And then one of their starters rolled his ankle so badly in the second minute of the game that he did not return. So Fresno State, a bad basketball team, was down four of the guys in their top eight last night. They played a guy named Pierre Geniste last night. Pierre has played 35 minutes all season and 11 in Mountain West play. He played 10 minutes last night. He committed four fouls in 10 minutes and missed both of his free throws. Actually missed three because there was a lane violation on his second free throw, and he got to retake it and still ended up missing it anyway. Pierre struggled, not going to lie. And then the final minute was some horrific basketball all around. First possession of the final minute, Rob Whaley got fouled, made one of two free throws. Okay, not great. Might want to knock them both down, but one of two. Okay. Fresno State then got the ball over 30 seconds left, down by two, and they got a shot clock violation. They airballed a three. There's a big reason why it was a shot clock violation. UNLV, that shot clock's off. All UNLV's got to do is hold on to the ball, get fouled, make some free throws, they win the game. DJ Thomas gets a turnover against a full-court press. Technically, it should have been Brooklyn Hicks' turnover because it hit him in the hands, but... The turnover went to DJ Thomas. Regardless, terrible situation there. Hicks couldn't catch it. DJ Thomas threw a jump pass from the corner halfway up the court, and Kevin Kruger just watched his team completely fail to break a press. Brutal all the way around. So they give Fresno State the ball back with eight seconds left down two, and Fresno State takes a three, wide open three at the buzzer, airballs another one. They didn't even hit the rim on their last two shots disaster of a last minute for both teams. So that's why they get no credit. Because again, post-game, Mike Romala tweeted it out. Both Kevin Kruger and Rob Whaley of the last three said they were just hoping it didn't go in. 
if you're playing a terrible Fresno State team down four of their top eight players and you have to win the game by simply hoping a wide open three doesn't go in, you don't get credit for that. Right, win. So you're not giving them credit for no. this one. It's a road win. It, 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 it's it, tough to win the road t- in the Mountain West not, Conference. Not at we Fresno know State. Yeah, well, Fresno it's a road State win. is four and eight in the Mountain West. I give credit for road wins in the they're, Mountain West. They're four and zero oh against San Jose State and Air Force. They're zero oh and eight against everybody else. Anybody with a pulse in this conference has no problem beating Fresno State. I give them a little credit. It's a road yeah, win. You're, you're giving them zero credit. They get zero credit for this. Yeah. None whatsoever. Shouldn't even have been a close game. And it's hard to win on the road, Tyler. No, it's, it's not hard. There's six it's people hard, at hard that game. It's not even a road game. They announced 2,000. By the way, yeah, quick side note. They announced 2,915. Which means there was 800 people there. So, Cofield posted that he thinks there might have been 100 people there. Now, this was a little bit before the game started, but so they had more than that. I don't know if they had 1,000 people there. No, usually when you're announcing something, and this is everybody, by right. the way, this is everybody, you can include UNLV in this, you're not getting what you announced. Right. There's no way there's that many people in buildings. And on Fresno State, I know we talked about this when UNLV played them earlier, but they're not good this year. Justin Hudson's been there for six seasons. They have no, there's nothing, right? There's no right. success there. There's no NCAA tournament. There's no NIT and no one is showing up to watch them play. Yeah, this is uh, not good for Huddy. I mean, yeah, like, this has got to be it, yeah. right? I'm surprised it's been this long, to be honest. But, like, if you're bad and, like, the fans are like, yeah, we're not right. coming to watch you play, right. like, that's an obvious he's yeah. got to be gone at that point. So I'd assume that happens. Um, the one thing I will – okay, I'll give you and Ovi a little bit of credit. Well, i got to start with saying they were terrible. But first half of the game – 53% of UNLV shots were mid-range jumpers, which is just hilariously bad. They couldn't get to the rim, and they didn't really take a lot of threes last night. We can get to that in a second. Um, second half of the game, UNLV's only goal was to get the ball as close to the rim as possible, mainly through post-ups, and score. So second half of the game, UNLV took 16 free throws. Um, most of those were fouls in the paint. And then UNLV shot 9 of 9 on layups and dunks in the second half. It ended up being 33 of their 38 points came from just attacking the rim and getting a layup or getting fouled in the second half of that game. Basically, I don't know what Kevin Kruger told them exactly at halftime, but it must have boiled down to, what the hell are you guys doing? Get the ball all the way to the rim because Fresno State's not any good. And they did that in the second half, and it's why they they were losing in the first half. It's why they won the game is because they just went to the rim and Fresno State. The worst thing Fresno State did is they fouled UNLV at the rim, but didn't foul them hard enough to prevent UNLV from getting like still making still shots. making shots. Like they would they would just sort of like kind of hit their wrists lightly, right. which is a foul, but it's also like oh well. Rob Whaley can still make the layup right. when you just tap his wrist. Brutal from Fresno State. But I will give UNLV that credit. Giving Se- them credit. Second half, they right. did say, all right, what the hell are we doing? Right. And seven of their first eight shots were from the mid-range last night. I, I don't know what they were doing. The second half, they're like, all right, I guess we got to get some layups here. The streak almost came to an end. Oh. And this would have just been brutal for UNLV fans because they oh. hold on to this thing. Like it's life or death, this, this three-point three streak. The three-point streak. The three-point streak. Oh, my goodness. DJ Thomas made a three-pointer with 14 minutes to go in the second half. And so that's obviously not – there's still plenty of time after 14 minutes. Right. But that's about as late as it usually happens. Yes. For you and It happens usually early. But here's, here's the interesting part. 
they only took eight three-pointers in this game. And again, they could get to the rim at will in the second half, so it's not like they needed to shoot threes. But they only took eight in this game. They only took eight last game against New Mexico. And they've only made three in those two games. Well, they won both games. Right. The last two games, they're three of 16 from three, and they've won both games. Is it possible the streak ends? Well, if you keep taking eight, you got a good chance of it ending. And I think there's a legitimate argument for, obviously no team should just ignore the three-point line, but there's a legitimate argument for this team is much better when they're they're not looking for threes, right. when they're just going to the rim. Now, they've had games where they've taken like 25 threes, so they've obviously had games where they shoot a lot, but... I think there's I think there might be a chance where they play some of these games and it's like, all right, how do we win? We gotta get to the rim as much as possible. And they do that and they're pretty good at that. And it leads to them only taking eight threes. Eight, eight, or eight to nine ten. What if we get into a game where they only take six threes? Right. And I, I could very easily see this team going over six from three. Oh, if that streak ends. Oh. The horror. The horror out on the campus. We don't this, we don't get tournament bursts, but we got oh the, streak. The, streak, the streak. The streak ends. is here. Oh man, the reaction. It's it's not completely out of the question. And by the way, it's not out of the question for them doing it at a game that they win. Well, they only made one last yeah. night. and They won the game. I genuinely do wonder what does Kevin Kruger do if they're in a close game. And they have not made a three with like five minutes to go. He's drawn. You mean he's drawn things up to get one? Does he? Does he realize it in the moment? No, not a I chance. I would hope not. I would hope he's worried just about what's happening in the game. I, I think I, every single UNLV he might be, fan hopes he realizes. He might be it. reminded of it by somebody. <laughs> Somebody's right now, Kevin. Yeah, you haven't made he a might, three he yet. He might be. Re- oh, well, I could see that well, if it's a home screaming. G- at if it's him. a home yeah. game, he will be reminded. Yeah, by someone the fans. will scream. Yeah, at him. someone will scream at him. Yeah, on the road. Like, Fresno State last night had no idea about yeah. that streak. That's the part I'm really – because, again, they've won two back-to-back games, and they're 3 of 16 combined in those two. There is a real chance they could play a game. Win. Be winning, or it's close, and they're still – you know, they're they're playing to win. It's a close game, and just haven't made a three. And we're like, uh-oh, we're in the final media timeout. Right. Like, that part of it, that's what I'm really curious to see because – No – I, I mean, I odds mean, are they're going to make one in the first half of every. He might game. be reminded of it at home. Someone's probably yelling about yeah. it, like, but the three pointer. But I don't think he's purposely trying to draw some uh, something up to get a three that hopes it goes in. That should be the last thing on his mind. If it's at home, they're going to put it up on the jumbotron. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, make a three. Did, uh, Shoot a three. Did you see uh, Kevin going a little crazy on the sideline in uh, New Mexico's game? Yeah. I I thought he was going to get his first tech. Nah, he's like covering his mouth. He yeah, probably was just saying nice things to the ref. He's being oh. like a coordinator on the sideline, yeah, covering so his so mouth nobody so nobody could see could what see. he was saying. Exactly. Yeah. He's very angry. They called a flagrant on DJ Thomas, and it was clearly a flagrant. Like he 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 grabbed the guy in the head on that play against in New Mexico game. Like it was clearly a flagrant. And Kevin Kruger was like losing his mind. I don't know. It is what it is. He like, was trying to get you his first technical. Uh, he doesn't want to get it. Huh? He'd be very disappointed in himself if he got it. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into the NFL with Mike Jones of The Athletic. But you know who came through in the end. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, back to the press box on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from The Athletic, it's Mike Jones. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining us. 
Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, I want to start off of the Chiefs and the Super Bowl and look more at the rest of the NFL in the offseason. And I'm curious because we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, who do you think made the best head coaching hire of the offseason? Um, you know, I think it would probably have to be, I would have to say, the Chargers. Um, as far as a fit standpoint, um, I think, well, I mean, I think the Chargers and also the, Card- uh, the uh, Falcons. Chargers, number one, I'll give them a little bit of edge because I think that Jim Harbaugh is going to be very good for Justin Herbert. Also, that has been a talented team. Uh, they've just underperformed, and I think that uh, Harbaugh is going to be able to uh, really uh, get the most out of that roster, position them to finally start um, achieving uh, up to their talent level. We've seen them. They've had a lot of disappointments, a lot of blown opportunities, and I think that, like I said, he'll be good for uh, Herbert, and then he's going to be good for that roster as a whole. I also think Raheem Morris is going to be very good for Atlanta. Obviously, he's very familiar with there. He coached there as an assistant. He was also the interim. Uh, as far as a culture standpoint, he's going to be very good for that. He's also very well-rounded, very knowledgeable, has coached on both sides of the ball. He's going to be able to motivate a very young roster, hard-working roster, uh, but young He'll be able to help get them over the hump, I believe. They just got to figure out their quarterback situation. What is the, or what is your, I guess, realistic expectation for the Chargers with Harbaugh? Because he has, everywhere he's been, whether it's been the NFL or college, has elevated teams to the highest or nearly the highest level. How good can the Chargers be under Harbaugh? I mean, it can be very good. The only problem with them is they're in the same conference as the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> um, so. You know, it, it's kind of like Michael Jordan and the Bulls. You know, all those guys, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, um, you know, very talented guys, but they couldn't get past Michael Jordan. So uh, we're going to see if, uh, you know, Justin Herbert and them, are is, is Patrick Mahomes or Jordan standing in their way for an eternity, or will they be able to rival them? You know, you just never know what happens. if they get on the opposite side of the bracket. Um, but I think that they'll be competitive. I think they can be a playoff team. Uh, it just depends on how – uh, you know, the draw winds up playing out, but they, they should be able to. They've got a talented young quarterback. Uh, they've got talented weapons. Obviously, they have some free agency issues that they've got to figure out. Austin Eckler is going to be a free agent, a very important piece. Um, and they've got two dynamic pass rushers in um, uh, Bosa and uh, Mack. And so they've got to be able to get more out of them than what they have as well. So they have the weapons. They have the pieces. But again, they got a bad draw of who they're in the division with. Uh, the narrative this morning is that Steve Wilkes is a scapegoat in San Francisco, and then people are like, why would they fire him? That You know, you look at the numbers, and they've been better this year than they have been in the past. Do you buy into that, that this that Kyle Shanahan felt someone had to take the fall for this and it wasn't going to be him? Well, you know, it, it, the optics are really bad. Um, it, it does look like he's making a scapegoat. And then also part of the problem is you also have players like Bosa – who was blaming Wilkes, you know, saying, oh, we weren't prepared to uh, play the zone read with Patrick Mahomes running late. Well, you know what? You've played a lot of football. Quit whining. Quit passing the buck. You did not play that well. Um, You know you've got a mobile quarterback. You've got to be mindful of that um, and and know how to play that. He had contained. You can't blame a coach for everything. So um, it's unfortunate that he is being made to be the scapegoat um, because of the, the numbers that they put up. But at the same time, this just was never a good fit. The mistake that Kyle Shanahan made in the first place was hiring Steve Wilkes and wanting him to run the defense they had rather than saying, hey, 
you are a fantastic defensive coordinator, run your defense. So Steve Wilkes tried to blend what he likes to do in the secondary with what the 49ers have been doing up front uh, for years. And it was just, it was disjointed, ill-fitting, some communication issues throughout the year. And so it wasn't a good fit. And so Kyle had to make that change there. But again, if you're going to hire somebody to, to run a defense, he probably should have gone with somebody who had more similar philosophy instead of somebody who was very well regarded, but just, you know, wasn't the right match. Do you think Kyle Shanahan actually learns from that and either hire somebody that is going to do what he wants to do or hire somebody and says, you run whatever scheme you want to run on defense? Well, I mean, I think he, what he'll probably do is probably look for somebody that's more aligned with uh, what he wants. Maybe it's somebody from a coaching tree that has, uh, you know, somebody connected to somebody that runs uh, the type of defense similar to, you know, what Robert Sala did. Obviously, they can't get Vic Fangio because he's now with um, uh, Philadelphia, but maybe it's somebody on Sala's staff that had followed him from the 49ers. I don't know. Or maybe it's somebody entirely different. But either way, I think that Kyle did learn from this. I mean, he said, you know, you know I, I didn't get it right, um, that, you know, it just wasn't a good fit. And so, obviously, he's got to find a way. And John Lynch, you know, general manager, I'm sure he's going to have questions like, hey, you know, we can't have a repeat of that. We're so close. Uh, but, again, that was not why they lost the Super Bowl, um, because of Steve Wilkes. Uh, and we'll see where they go from here. Uh, we have a few teams, one of them out here in the Raiders, that are kind of in a similar spot. The Broncos are there, the Falcons are there, where they don't have an answer at quarterback. Uh, the free agent class isn't anything that's going to get people excited, and those teams don't have a top three pick, so they're not going to get one of the top three quarterbacks unless they are able to trade up. If you were those teams what would you do? What would be your goal in this offseason at the quarterback position? Well, I mean, like you said, there's, there's, there's not, um, they're not in a great position as far as draft-wise to get one of the premier quarterbacks, um, the top you know, two or three guys. Uh, but there still are uh, capable guys that are in the draft that you can build around. Obviously, look at San Francisco. They had Brock Purdy. Now I know it's a rare case so you can find the last pick of the draft. Wind up helping you take the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, look at what happened with, you know, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. You know, they obviously a lot of teams passed on him. You just got to really do your homework and find the guy that fits well and also make sure that you're getting a guy and you're not expecting that he's going to be uh, the, the, the magic wand to fix everything. If you're going to draft a quarterback in the you know middle of the first round or second round, third round, you can have success with them. Uh, Seattle did for a lot of years with Russell Wilson. Kirk Cousins was a fourth-round pick, but he was put in a system that worked really well to his strengths, and he had support around him. So I think the good thing for the Raiders is they have a roster that, you know, is the cupboard's not bare. Uh, they, they are showed the second half of the season once Antonio Pierce took over that they could be competitive. They've just got to find a guy that they can groom into a difference maker. He might not be that answer from day one uh, like you would hope, but it might take some time, but then you can grow him into that. But again, if he's well-supported, you got a strong run game, strong defense to ease the pressure on him, uh, you can still have success in this league. We talked about this uh, earlier this week in terms of the Raiders trying to move up to get one of those franchise quarterbacks or the supposed franchise of the top three quarterbacks. Um, and we put out there, is there any untradeable Raiders? 
If you could get up and get one of those three guys, would you trade Max Crosby? Ah, uh, man. Well, see, here's the thing. You, if you have a young quarterback, you've got to have really good defense. And, you know, losing a premier pass rusher, a premier pass rusher is a difference maker. They can, you know, there's a reason why outside of the quarterback, they are the next highest paid guys, them and left tackle. So I would not trade him. Um, I would try to either find another way or continue to be patient and, you know, see if there's a veteran that fits what you want to do that you can either acquire by trade and then draft another quarterback that might be a little bit of a project but has a high ceiling. It's just, man, it's hard to get those elite pass rushers. I, I would, I would, you know, as I'm building a franchise, I'm making sure I've got a stud pass rusher, stud left tackle, and my quarterback as well. Well, he is Mike Jones. You can follow him on Twitter at by Mike Jones and read his work at The Athletic. Mike, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Have a good one. So there is Mike Jones from The Athletic on the NFL as we look ahead to the offseason. Uh, I am glad when other people make points that uh, we talk a lot about on this show, but his point about Harbaugh and the Chargers and, yep, that could be a good hire, could be really good. And you're staring at Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could be awesome. And you still might not ever actually win anything win the of division. significance because right. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are sitting there just, yeah, we kind of suck this year and we still actually won the, won Super, the Super Bowl. Bowl. Which, by the way, I know we love to make fun of athletes or coaches who win a championship and then turn around and say, nobody believed in us. Everybody doubted us. Yes. Danny played that sound of Patrick Mahomes. Yes. I can't say anything because I did doubt them. I have I can't say anything about Mahomes or the Chiefs because I actually I, it's the no respect line. I one hundred percent did doubt them yeah. this year. This is like the first time where a player has said everyone doubted us, yeah. and the majority of people actually did yes. doubt them. Yeah, because yeah. I did. I one hundred percent. I did doubt them, and they were they were underdogs in that game but, too. They were underdogs, but did you find a lot of people, because I didn't, that weren't going to take the Chiefs in that because of Patrick Mahomes? Well, yeah, once, once we got, got to there. Super Bowl week, I mean, we everybody we had on our show. Picked the, picked the Chiefs. Yeah, I think I think uh, Aaron Schatz was the only one who even like said, yeah, I think the 49ers could win this or should be favored to win this. Everybody else was like, It's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I'm taking Mahomes, but... Back on Christmas, oh, this team's bumps. They're not even. They're not making. They're not doing anything in the postseason. And then they turn around and win three road games and win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, yeah. What happens if they're good next year? <laughs> then it doesn't matter how good Harbaugh is. <laughs> which I think Harbaugh is going to be really good. Yeah, I'm expecting that. I'm expecting legitimately good uh, AFC West races over the next four or five years between those two teams. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get into some Major League Baseball because spring training is here. Get excited. Follow the guys on Twitter, at Ed Graney and at Bischoff underscore Tyler. Ed, spring training's here. Dodgers are already uh, praising Shohei Otani for doing nothing. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you praise this guy? Chris Taylor said, I don't think I've ever seen anybody more meticulous with their work yep. with every rep. He's out there hitting bombs. Did you see that? Did you see that on Twitter? Everybody's hitting bombs. No, off the, he's, it's he's batting practice. practice, coach. He's hitting bombs. He's, he's hitting it's bombs. the home run derby, Ed. He's hitting bombs. Uh, Andrew Friedman, who's the president of baseball operations, says, obviously we knew his work ethic was top shelf. 
but to see how deliberate everything he does is. Our training staff has commented that they've never seen a guy returning from surgery that is so intentional about every single thing they do from every swing he takes. Most guys get in the cage and they just kind of mindlessly swing. He does his whole pre-pitch routine before every swing, just how intentional everything he does, whether it's in the weight room, the cage, out on the field, that you can't really fully appreciate until you see. What a stud. Unbelievable. What an absolute great player. This guy is one of the most insane baseball players of all time. He's going to do some of the most incredible things. He already has that we will ever see a baseball player do. And the Dodgers are over here like, oh, my God, he's he does his pre-pitch routine in the batting cage? Yep. Unbelievable. He's ready. He's getting that much money. He's ready. He's ready to go. You know what? If I read this quote, Ed, I'd be worried that the – President of Baseball Ops has says most guys, so most Dodgers, get in the cage and just mindlessly swing. Yeah, I didn't like that part. <laughs> They've got to be more like Shohei. Apparently. Should I get Chris Taylor's like, I've never seen anybody like this before. <laughs> Chris Taylor's just bopping in there, taking a few swings, <sighs> ground balls. Ridiculous. You wait for him to actually do something. We're going to talk up like, oh my God, did you see those push-ups he did? The form was incredible. See what he said about saying hi to everybody? He goes up to everybody, says hi. Sometimes he says, make sure I don't introduce myself twice. I hope, if hopefully they'll let it go. This guy, he's a team player, this guy. I got nothing against Otani. Otani's great. I'm just saying. The Dodgers are out here being like, oh, my God. He's intentional. This guy, he got. did you see how he got out of his car? I've never seen anybody get yeah, out of their exactly. car like Otani does. Doing a lot of butt kissing. Yeah, exactly. What, are they afraid they're going to say something negative about Otani? He already signed. Dave Roberts can say whatever he wants to the media now. This guy's locked in. I don't have a problem with any of this. Well, maybe the whole thing about some guys go in and just uh, <laughs> mindlessly, mindlessly swing the bat. <laughs> Who's mindlessly like swinging? That. Might be Chris Taylor because he's so Might impressed be. with Otani. Like, it can't be Freddie Freeman. Freeman seems no. like the guy who goes in there and does his entire pre-pitch right. routine as well. Fre Freddie Freeman's looking around saying, wait a minute, guys. I do all of this, too. You know what do you, might, what do you, you know mean you've never be? seen this? Might be Muncie. <laughs> He's looking for a walk on BP. <laughs> He's not, good at that. Not swinging. No wonder he gets as many walks. Yeah. He does it during BP. He doesn't swing anything during BP. That's you got to practice like you play, Ed. Muncy's got to go in there and take a few BP pitches before he considers swinging. Still, my God, not I swing. love this about Otani. What that he that he tries hard. Yes, in 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 a, the first day of spring training, that uh, that Twitter they sent out. Boy, he was hitting some bombs. Oh, you just like the home runs off That's the batting great. practice they, coach. They oh. look like it from the angle. <laughs> didn't it look? Didn't it look awesome, Danny? Yeah, it was a cool angle. It was a cool angle. That Does could it, have been a three hundred and twenty-five foot flyout. Exactly. Oh no, they're hitting bombs. It could. It no. could have grazed <laughs> off the top no. of the wall. No, you're, you're crazy. The way that the trajectory of those hits is an infield fly. Does it's, it? Is Costanza with the Yankees? <laughs> Does it make you feel? Good that they are multiple wins ahead as uh, their season win total. It's it's sitting at one hundred four and a half. That's a big number. It's a lot. That's next, a lot of that's next a lot closest of is one hundred one. Well, wait, we're the Braves. One hundred one. They're three. Sh they're three shy of the Braves. Or three three up on the Braves. Three and a half. Yeah, that's surprising. And nobody else is over a hundred. You got. They heard that Otani does his pre-pitch routine before every batting practice swing, and so they're they, like, "Oh they my moved god!" The numbers up. Yeah, we got to make them one hundred four and a half. That's we get listen. If if Max Muncy shows up and is like, "Wow, this Otani guy," I need to take after him. It's going to be one hundred eight and a half pretty soon. They're going to keep bumping this up four games at a time. Man, one hundred four and a half is a big number.
Can I give you a, a bad prediction? Uh-oh. The San Francisco Giants just signed Jorge Soler. Uh, he's going to hit more home runs than Otani this season. Well, Otani does have the hurt and it does have the injury. So. Well, you just said he was launching bombs. Yeah, come on. He's, I haven't even seen Soler hit a batting practice home run yet. <laughs> Maybe Soler gets out of his car better. Oh, I doubt that. I doubt that. Yeah, where are the Giants quotes about Jorge Soler working harder than anybody they've ever seen? I need those. Um, Soler, though, he hit 36 last year for Miami. His uh, average per 162 in his career is 32. Um, I think he hits more homers than Otani. Otani's going to be a better overall hitter because Soler strikes out a lot. But more how, home ma- runs. how many do you think Otani gets? You don't think he gets to 30? Yeah, be in the low 30s. I think he gets to 40. Nah, he's, he's a bump. He'll be in the low 30s. Um, and then Soler's going to get to uh, 46. Soler's going to lead the 46. Na- he's going to lead the National League in home runs. Wow, 46. that's a hot take. He's going to hit a bunch of bombs. That's a big hot take. Yeah, he's going to have. What was the stat I saw? Oh, I should have. I should have looked this up, or should have put this in the rundown. Nobody since Barry Bonds has hit 30 or 40 home runs with the Giants. It can't be 30. That seems way too. No, low. it can't be no, 30. It can't be 30. 40, 40. Yes, nobody's hit like a significant amount of home runs with the Giants since Barry Bonds was there. In one season? Yeah, yeah, in one season. Well, when did Bonds leave? Was that mid-2000s? Like 05, 06? Something, something around, maybe a little no bit No one's later. had 30? Not even Yastrzemski? Apparently. Again, I, I completely failed everybody and didn't put this in the rundown so I could actually God, reference it Mr. for you. Mr. Statistic. I know, I blew it, but I saw it and I was like, oh, wow, Solaire's going to do that. Uh, so it's either 30 or 40, but yeah. It's got to be 40. 40. So... There's been at least one person who's hit 30 in the last 15, 20 years. Solaire's going to do it. Hell, he might even hit 50. Uh, and Ed will be looking around saying, why the hell are the Giants in first place in August? <laughs> Those damn Jorge Soler guys hitting 40 home runs in a season. He's going to be nervous when the Giants start off 3-0 oh, and I the can't, Dodgers Danny. are 2-1. and one. God, I can't wait. The Rockies <laughs> are going to be like 2-1. and one, And that's like, oh, the Rockies, <laughs> they're here to win the division. They don't even get Otani and they're still in first place. We open up in Korea, by the way. <laughs>